This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. John Titus, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Good to be here, thanks for having me. We were just talking a moment ago. Um, everything's messed up at the moment, isn't it? I mean, South Africa, you're in the United States. We have all the gold in the world and yet we have none of it. Yeah, if you're dealing with the New York Fed, you don't have any gold. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, John, yeah, listen, what, what is a central bank and why do we have it? Uh, central banks exist because throughout the West we have what's called a debt-based monetary system. So that's a big question. So I, I'm going to take you through a quick history of debt-based monetary system in the West. It's really been around since the late 17th, early 18th centuries. Way back when... Um, Goldsmiths were, were, the, were the bankers. Money was gold. People carried around money, carried around gold coins, and that was how people traded. That's how they conducted business. Goldsmiths came around and said, hey, you know what? We'll keep your gold safe for you. You got you carry around too, many, too much gold. It's weighting you down. You just bail it with us, and we'll keep it safe. People were like, that's a great idea. So it was really a valuable service to people because it kept their money safe. Um, mm -hmm. They could park large amounts of money and travel around with enough money to do business. And so it was, it was a safety precaution. Over time, goldsmiths learned, you know, you know what we could do? We'll, we'll write you a receipt for your money, right? So we'll say 10 pound notes or whatever. And people started to use the receipts themselves as money. Not They didn't use them just like a coat claim check. You know, you go to the restaurant, you check your coat, you, you take the claim check, you go back to the window, you get your coat back. That was the original purpose of the gold receipts from the goldsmiths. Take the, take the receipt, go back and get your money. Over time, though, people began to use the receipts themselves as money. They began to trade the money because it was lighter mm -hmm. than gold. Um, and, and if you did, the paper got destroyed, you know, the, at least the gold was still safe. You could argue about that later. And then the next development after that was the goldsmiths are like, you know, who would really know? Who would be any wiser? If we wrote some receipts, since people are using them as money, and there really was no corresponding gold under those receipts, mm. right? So, and they started to lend out those receipts. And that's when the trouble started. That is exactly when your debt-based monetary system began. Because at that point, the receipt is no longer a claim check on the physical gold. The receipt is literally an IOU from the goldsmith to whoever is holding the IOU. And then you have a situation where there's more gold receipts floating mm. around out there than there is underlying gold. When, okay? when did this happen? You, this said this was, is, you said this is when the trouble started. This, yeah, this is 1600s, early 1700s, you know, it, it, but it's a serious, it's an evolution over time. So it's yeah. 1600s. Then what happens is banks are like, they began to, um, with those with those receipts, they began to um, try to, you know, people would try to use their claim on the bank as money, and they would sell it to each other. And there was there was a there was a controversy with the courts 
because the, the 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 legal rule is that those IOUs that's a debt, right? And the normal rule in Western law is you can't sell a debt. Yeah, that's a no no, right? I mean, if someone owes you money, it's actually a crime for you to go out and sell that debt in an effort to collect that money. Okay, and so there was there was a there was a controversy between the merchants on the one hand and the and the law on the other hand. Some courts were enforcing debts against third parties and some courts weren't, okay? The more conservative courts are like, no, that's a debt between you, the, the, the gold merchant or the bank and the, and the borrower. That we're not gonna enforce that against the third person, mm. okay? That's just not gonna work. And so what the, what the bankers did at that point was they passed, they went to parliament and they had passed in 1704, the Promissory Notes Act, which allowed banks, but only banks, to sell debts like that, okay? And so I'm getting to your question of what are, what are, why do we have reserve, why do we have central banks, okay? So now you've got a system where, let's say I bank at bank A, you bank at bank B, okay? I owe you 100 pounds, okay? So I take my bank money and I try to transfer it to you. But legally, that 100 pounds sitting at my bank is a liability to my bank, call it bank A. And your bank is going to look at that and say, why on earth would I take on your IOU as my own? I mean, Germ, if, you're, if your neighbor comes to you and says, hey, I've got an IOU here. I want you to, to pay it. You know, or somebody yeah. says, this is your neighbor's IOU. Are you going to pay it? You know, you're not going to pay it. That's your neighbor's IOU. You're going to say, get, you know, get out of here. I'm not going to pay it. Mm. But the reason banks do that, okay, the reason they take on each other's IOUs is that there's it's there's a it's a parallel transaction, so it's not just a hundred pounds that's coming from my account to your account. In parallel with that transaction, there's going to be another transaction. So that's a, that's the liability moving from my bank to your bank. In parallel with that, there's going to be an asset moving from my bank to your bank. Back in the day, that parallel asset was gold. Okay, but gold is physical; it takes too long to settle. Banks aren't, you know, people don't want to wait around that long. They want to settle immediately. And so they need another form of electronic money. And that form of electronic money is called reserves. That's why we have central banks. Why central do they, banks, sorry, why do they need that? Because to make, to make the transaction go through, okay, I owe you a hundred pounds. Okay. You want that hundred pound out of my account and you want it into your account. Mm. Everybody is, you're cool with that. I'm cool with that. My bank is cool with that. But the fourth party in the transaction, your bank, is like, no. Right. Why am I going to take on a 100-pound liability? I need a 100-pound asset to go with it. The mm -hmm. reserves are that 100-pound asset. So the way that transaction actually works, the, really, the money isn't transferred from my account to your account. The way it works is this. My bank deletes my $100. Your bank creates 100, 100 pounds to keep it consistent. My bank deletes the 100 pounds out of my account. Your bank creates the 100 pound liability in your account. And the transfer is my bank transfers 100 pounds in reserves from it to your bank. And thus the transaction is complete. My bank is, is it's lost a hundred dollars. It's lost a hundred pound liability and it's lost a hundred pound asset. And your bank has gained exactly the reverse. 100 pound asset in the form of reserves and 100 pound liability in the form of your bank account. 
And that's how that works. And that's why we have reserves. But that, that gets into it. So there's what people don't understand about the banking system is it's really two banking systems. There's the visible system at the retail level. That's what we think of as money. And then there's a the hidden behind the, behind the curtain system that makes it work. It's the oil in the system that nobody sees and nobody thinks about because it's done at night and it's done, you know, behind closed doors. It's bank to bank. Okay. So that's the first part. Now, the second part is how does that connect to where we are now? Great question. The way that connects up now is that up until the global financial crisis, banks were only using reserves to do exactly what I just described. That process is called settlement. Okay. Take two big banks in the UK. Okay. Take, take Barclays and, you know, take, let's take another international bank. Let's take Credit Suisse. How many transactions are there, retail transactions? between customers of Barclays and customers of Credit Suisse. There, there's millions, mm. okay? And so you have billions, hundreds of billions of, of pounds of liability going one way and a hundred billions going the other way. At the end of the day, those two banks sit there and they settle out who owes who how much money, okay? Because they figure out, we got to net out these transactions and then someone's going to owe somebody else a pile yeah. of reserves, okay? That's how reserves work forever until the global financial crisis. In the global financial crisis, central banks began to misuse reserves for the first time. They were using reserves not to settle transactions, but they were using reserves instead. They were, they were still settling transactions, but now they were using reserves to bail out banks. How did that work? Let's, let's, go, let's take HSBC. That's a good example. That's a, really, that's a criminal bank. HSBC, let's say that HSBC is sitting on a mortgage-backed security. They paid a billion pounds for it. It's not worth a billion pounds. It's like a billion pound cow. They paid a billion dollars for a cow. Thing gets hit in the head by lightning five minutes after they bought it. They got a dead cow on their balance sheet now. It's not worth anything. It's not even worth hamburger meat because it's rotted. What do they do? They're going to go under because they have, they have a, a, a liability, but they don't have mm. the assets worth nothing. It's going to tank their balance sheet, okay? So what the banks did, what the central banks did back in 2008, 2009, 2010, is they said, you know what? Here's, here's what we'll do, HSBC. We know you got the rotted cow on your balance sheet, and it's killing, it's killing your profitability. You're not going to be able to pay out big bonuses. Here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll pay you face value for the dead cow, okay? Well, because... If the cow's dead, no, you're not going to be able to sell it anywhere else. It's useless. It's garbage. It's going to cost you money to get rid of it. We'll buy it for you, from you for maybe you know a billion pounds and change. We'll give you a little bit of profit there. And they paid for it, the central banks did, with reserves. Because reserves are their assets to the bank. Okay, mm. Just as bank money is money to us, bank money is not money to banks. It's a liability. At, banks want assets. Their money, banks, they, they're operating money. They, they transact business not in bank money. They transact business in reserves and thus began the bailouts using reserves by central banks during the global financial crisis. That's what they were doing. And that's why the balance sheets of the Bank of England, Bank of Japan, you know, the Federal Reserve in the U.S., they all, they all got bigger because they were bailing out commercial banks. That's, that's in, in a nutshell, what started in 2008, 2009. 
You've spoken now a couple of times about the two different types of money that's being transacted. There's the money that you and I use and there's the money that banks use. Yep. What? Yeah, that's what a, that's electronic money. Okay, so what's happening third, there? The, well, the electronic money is you and I transact business in bank money. That's electronic. That's a liability to the banks. And the reserves are electronic money, but they're assets to, to the banks. And you need you need those two opposite polarities of money to, for the system to work, because the banks you got to understand the role of commercial banks in the system. Commercial banks are the lynch, linchpin of our system. Okay, they issue money in the retail circuit. That's in the circuit you and I use, and everybody else. They they banks are issuers of money in the retail circuit. Banks are users of the money in the wholesale circuit. Those two circuits, by the way, wouldn't be necessary. It wouldn't exist if we just did all our business in coins. There would be no, there would yeah. be no reason to have two systems. The reason you need two systems is, like I said up front, money now is created as debt. Okay, so when that way, the way that works is you go get a thousand pound loan from a bank. The way that the bank creates a thousand dollars in your account out of nothing, creates it out of thin air. Okay, that's a liability to the bank. The corresponding asset to the bank is the promissory note that you signed saying, I owe you bank 1,000 pounds or $1,000, whatever it is. Okay, so you always, in, in a, the debt-based monetary system, everything is an asset or liability, depending on which party you're dealing with. And, and there's no backing. There, that's, well, there is, there is no backing ultimately. There's no physical backing. Okay. Originally, up until gold. the 30s in a lot of places, there was gold backing, mm. but it was it was fractional. Okay. But that that ended in stages. The last stage of that was 1971. And what happened there is up until then, the Federal Reserve, which is a US central bank, was able to issue was was issuing reserves, right? Freely issuing reserves. And other countries were banking at the Fed, including France. And France comes over to the U.S. and says, "Oh, thirty-five dollars an ounce, is it? Here, you know what? We've got we've got we have thirty-five million dollars in cash. Give us a million ounces of gold." Mm. What happened? Nixon goes, "Gold window's closed." That and that broke the that broke the link. At that point forward, August 15, 1971, no more gold backing. So now the central banks can issue as much money as they want with total impunity okay they can create money out of thin air within there's no there's no limit to how much they can create now a bank you got to understand a commercial bank hsbc barclays whoever they create money out of thin air too but they can be bankrupted because you when you get your thousand pound loan they, they credit your account with a thousand pounds you can you can turn around and tell the bank i want a thousand pound note you know, or 10 hundred pound notes, whatever it is. And, and the bank, the bank at that point might be in trouble because it cannot create notes out of thin air. The notes are created by the central bank. You said in a previous podcast, uh, you made the example of Apple sitting with about $200 billion of cash. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, so they can draw that. Yes. Any, any customer at a bank. Uh, in this system can go to the bank and redeem its its account, its electronic account money 
in the form of cash. And that's that's how um, historically banks have been. You know, you can keep a yoke on a bank that way. You know, because of the, because mm-hmm. as soon as the customer decides either to cash out with this account, like to use your example again, your thousand pound account, you can demand cash, or just as bad from the bank's point of view, you could transfer that. Um, say you're banking in HSBC, you could transfer that says say to me at another bank. And your bank has to delete the money out of your account, which is happy to do because it's a liability. But it then has to come up with the asset of a thousand pounds and transfer that to my mm. bank. But John, you, you talk about the split circuit. Are are they mirror images of each other? Um, they're not. Yeah, they are mirror images in a way, uh, in terms of the polarity, meaning, uh, meaning bank money in your account okay thousand pounds use example that's a liability and if you transfer that if you transfer your money to an, someone else at another bank the, the mirror image is is that liability mm. has to be met by an asset to transfer that out too when you transfer to someone else because like i said another bank isn't going to take on your bank's liability it needs it needs a sweetener. It needs an inducement, and the inducement is the mirror. The inducement is the reserves. Mm, mm. They're going to come tagging along with the liability when it gets transferred. It's very it's very complicated because you grow up and you're you're told for years, oh, we got this piggy bank model. The banks go into the vault, get this pre existing money. It's all a bunch of garbage. It's 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 what I'm telling you. It's debt based money, but it's existing in two circuits, so the system will work. And that's that's where the complication lies. But is it that debt-based system the reason why everything is now tanking and there's this introduction of CBDCs? Yes. Yes. So okay. It, so so what's going on now? Well, in the I can't I don't know about what's going on in Europe. I'll tell you what's going on in the U.S. In a debt-based monetary system, and this is true everywhere. The the, the amount of debt in the system gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like a ratchet wrench. And it gets bigger at a rate that is automatically going to be faster than the rate at which an economy grows. And the reason for that, it's a, it's a bit complicated, but it boils down to this. When, you, let's go back to your example. You go to your bank and you say, you know, I want a loan for $1,000. That bank, your bank, if it's a commercial bank, doesn't get that money out of a vault. It creates that money out of thin air. Okay, it creates the it, it creates a thousand pounds out of thin air or electronically, and then it gets a note from you, an IOU, so that everything balances out. But the point is it creates that money out of thin air. Right there, so that tells you that to create new money in our system, you need new debt. Okay? The bank is not going to put a thousand pounds in your account, freely create a thousand pounds out of nothing without a debt that goes along with it. Okay, that's the asset that matches the liability. So you have to sign an IOU for a thousand pounds when that money is created, okay? So that's that's the first part of this. There's two parts to it. First part of our system is you need new debt to create new money, okay? The second part is you don't need new money to create new debt, mm. okay? If you go to another, let's say you go to an insurance company, or a hedge fund, or your mom and dad, whoever, 
When you borrow a thousand pounds from them, they don't create that money out of thin air. Okay, they just get they go into they they lend like we you and I lend. They reach into their pocket, they give you the cash, and they lend it. It's pre-existing money. So there you have. The, so those two things tell you, you need new debt to create new money, but you don't need new money to create new debt. And that is the problem: is you now you have a system where the debts are growing faster than the money for that reason, because of that duality. And so the system is inherently unstable for mm. that reason, because not only do you have new debts creating faster than than loans or faster than money, those debts are also paying interest and they are increasing in two ways, by creation and by interest. And so the debts are automatically growing faster than the economy. The system is inherently unstable. Historically, the way these situations are dealt with is this geometric progression of debt is dealt with is you have jubilee where debts are just written off, they're written down to zero, and it sort of lets steam out of the system. Bankruptcy is another steam letter outer, but it doesn't happen fast. 2008? Yeah, just commercial bankruptcies in general. You know, that's commercial bankruptcies are written into the U.S. Constitution, you know, for that mm -hmm. reason. What about a war like, like, like the Trade Center in 2001? A war, <laughs> a war is a way to gin up a lot of new money right. and a lot of new debt quickly. So whenever you see a central bank created, the Federal Reserve in 1913 or the Bank of England in 1694, you're guaranteed to see pretty much wars and crazy stuff start happening right away because bankers realize, hey, we can create as much money as we want. And they start, they go on a bonanza. They get they get drunk too quickly and the party the party ends. So I, I alluded to CBDCs and I, I say that as if it's a term that everybody knows, uh, which of course isn't the case. Um, it stands for Central Bank Digital Currency. Yeah, and exactly. going on from that, John, what is going direct? Um, all right, but it's two, two separate things. Um, let's start with going direct and I'll get to CBDC. Going direct... Um, so we talked about the global financial crisis, 2008, 2009, where the bank was creating new money, but it was just to it was just to bail out commercial banks, okay? Because your commercial banks, if they implode, your retail money supply is in big trouble, and you're gonna have a depression, and that that was that's really what was going on in 08 and 09. Come to come 2020, with the onset of the pandemic, um, what happened there is yeah right. <laughs> The pandemic, virus, virus, virus. You know, what happened there is... Pan pandemic. Um, <laughs> you see, the, the, in, the Fed, in the Federal Reserve's case, the Fed created basically overnight $3.5 trillion of new reserves. But this time, unlike 2008, 2009, somehow there was also created, in parallel with that, $3.5 trillion of new bank money. And it's like, whoa, where did... Where did Frankenstein's twin come from? And you look back to 2008 and 2009, you say, wait a minute, you guys created a lot, you know, say $2 trillion of new reserves back then. There wasn't the twin creation of new bank money. The retail bank money supply just kept on trucking. It, was, it didn't even flinch during that time. What's going on? What's different this time? And what's different this time is, you know, you and I can't, we can't, we don't have accounts at the Fed. We don't have accounts at the central bank. We don't have accounts at the Bank of England. We can't spend reserves. 
Okay. So what this time happened was somehow the creation of new reserves was leading to the twin creation of new bank money. And that had not happened before. So it's like, well, who, how did this happen? And if you trace it back, what you'll find out is that in August of 2019, the Federal Reserve was hosting a conference in Black Rock, Wyoming, here in the United States, where all the central banks were present, all the bigwigs were present, and BlackRock was present. BlackRock being the biggest asset manager in the world. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You said you said in in BlackRock. Uh, didn't you mean Jackson Hole? Jackson Hole was no. Yeah, it's where Jackson Hole is where the conference took place. And BlackRock Black was there. Was BlackRock was there. Mm. Everybody was there. Every, every Jackson Hole is the monetary conference every year in the world. Okay, because it's the Fed, and the Fed's the biggest central bank. Okay, so they host this conference every year, every August. August of 2019 is no different. But this time, BlackRock gives a paper. They present a paper. And one of the guys on the, who presented the paper, his name is Stanley Fisher. He's a big wig over here in the U.S. And the paper says, hey, Fed, you know, there's going to be another downturn. And when there's another downturn, you know, you can't really, you're not going to be able to respond to it the way you've responded to previous downturns by just monkeying with interest rates. Because interest rates are already zero. You're out of runway. So what are you going to do? You need an unprecedented response on the next downturn. What you got to do is you got to find a way to get the reserves into private hands. And that's what they said. They said, you got to get it into private hands. We'll call it helicopter money. It's got to be permanent. And the way it'll work is you'll get reserves into private hands. And those people who get the in the in the bank money system, okay, so reserves will somehow get converted to bank money, they'll take the bank money and they'll put it in the stock market. And that's exactly what happened. And that started happening in March of 2020. The Fed actually hired BlackRock to implement the plan. But the plan, make no mistake about it, was written in August of 2019. It was presented on August 22nd. About that, there is absolutely no dispute whatsoever. The record is very clear. And the crisis actually began the next month. I mean, the big time crisis supposedly started with the pandemic. Mm. But the warm-up, the mini crisis began in New York in the repo market on about September 17th. I mean, it was almost, it was within a month of BlackRock presenting this paper that the very crisis that they're talking about starts to happen. How about that? It's just a coincidence. <laughs> As fate would have it, the crisis <laughs> arrived 28 days later. <laughs> You can't make this stuff up. And then the Fed turns around and hires BlackRock and says, hey, you know what? We need help with what assets to buy. And BlackRock goes, hey, I got an idea. We got some assets ourselves to sell. And the Fed's like, yeah, but then you would be on both sides of the transaction. That's a little kinky, isn't it? Whether you're the buyer and the seller of the commodity. And and BlackRock's like, okay, well, here's we'll just sign a waiver. We'll sign a waiver saying that it's cool for us to create the money and then use it to buy our own assets. Fed's like, okay, cool, we're good. Just to stop you there for a moment, John, but the Fed, everybody thinks is a public entity. Yeah. Well, that's the official story. The official story is the Federal Reserve was created by Congress in 1913, pursuant to Article One of the Constitution. And there's some truth in that. The Board of Governors was created in 1913. Um, and then the banks that were, were active, but the Board of Governors doesn't issue any money, okay? 
the, 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 the regional mm-hmm. Federal Reserve's issue money, the regional banks. There's 12 regional banks in the Fed system in the U.S. They're the ones that issue money. They are all private. You, you're, not, you're not even allowed to know who owns the regional Federal Reserves in the U.S. The regional Federal Reserve banks who issue the money, you know, good, good luck finding out who owns them. They, won't tell. they will tell you that it's the member banks in the system. You know, in other words, it would be the J.P. Morgans and the Citigroups. But good luck finding out who owns mm. those. You can't ever untangle who the ultimate owners are. Yeah, I think I think you can make some 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 estimations. I mean, when you yes. when you know that when you know that BlackRock and Vanguard and some of those big players seem to yeah. have their feelers everywhere. Yeah, they own about seven or eight percent of every major company in the world. Um, but who owns BlackRock and who owns Vanguard? You don't yeah, know. Hey. They own themselves, so it's like a, it's like a cluster. It's it's like a dog chasing. You can't ever I, get to the bottom. Like which people own this? Just as a, a buy a buy story here. I decided to look at the major shareholders of South Africa's major banks, the five the five top banks. And guess what? Every single one of them, without yeah. without exception, every single one of them had BlackRock and Vanguard. As major shareholders, every it's BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity, Berkshire Hathaway, State Street, yeah. State Street, yep. A- and go. I even saw J.P. Morgan in there. Yeah, yeah, and it's the same. It's this, it's the same. It, it's organized crime. It's just right in your face. Except that it's not called Gambino. It's mm. called J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup. Okay, so the the pandemic started. What happened next? Well, what happens next is um, the the Federal Reserve creates um, about three point five trillion dollars. Okay, so the, when the pandemic starts, the balance sheet, the, the total number of assets, the total liabilities on the Fed's balance sheet is sitting at four point two trillion dollars, and by June, let's say early June, it's already up to. You know, seven point two trillion dollars. So three trillion dollars gets created immediately, and so what happens is you got to remember that that the that stock U.S. stock market begins to uh, tank in February. It's down, 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 and then the Fed, following BlackRock plan, creates three trillion dollars out of thin air, but it's three trillion dollars of reserves, and they take those reserves and they buy assets from asset holders, bondholders, mortgage-backed security holders in such a way that $3 trillion of new bank money gets created this time. And that had never happened before. That had never happened in the global financial crisis. The creation of new reserves had happened, but the parallel creation of new bank money had not happened. And that happens. And so what's going on there is the, the Fed would go to say, a big retirement fund, and say, you know, I know, you, I notice you've got this treasury. Um, it's a bond. It's sitting on your on your on your in your portfolio. It's a dog. It's not earning anything. Mm. Uh, wouldn't you like to get rid of? Wouldn't you like to get rid of that bond? It sucks. And the pension fund would be like, yeah, we'd we'd love to get rid of it. It does suck. It's not returning anything. We got to pay out all these retirees. There are tons of them. You know, they're drawing all this money. We're bleeding ink. So the Fed says, well, we'll buy that. We'll buy it from you. We'll buy it at face value. 
pension fund's like, that's great because we're not going to get a good price for it if, if we just sell it in the market. But the pension fund's like, well, wait a minute. You, you're the Fed. You're going to pay us in reserves. We can't use reserves. You might as well give us Chuck E. Cheese tokens. What the hell are we going to do with reserves? We can't use reserves. And the Fed said, you know what we'll do? You pension fund, you bank at Citigroup. Here's what we'll do. Will you transfer us the bond? We'll give the billion dollars in reserves to Citigroup, okay? And now Citigroup is sitting plus $100 in reserves, 100 billion or 100 a billion say in reserves. Their balance sheet's out of whack. They need a liability. That's where you come in, pension fund. <laughs> the Citigroup will create a billion dollar account in your name. Then you'll have your money. So you you send us the asset, you send us the bond which sucks and isn't returning and you want to get rid of, you transfer it to us and we'll we'll set it up with Citigroup and the, 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 we'll pay for it ultimately with an account in your name at Citigroup. And now you've got a billion dollars in cash. You do, it, do with it whatever you want. So you might want to go into the stock market and buy Tesla. And as soon as the Fed started doing that, you know, creating, you know, buying assets that way, guess what happened to the stock market? Na -na 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 -na. Back up. Everybody's happy. Everybody's making money. Asset inflation galore. And that's that's why it was that twin creation of new bank money in parallel with new reserves that 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 did that trick and that got the stock market revived. It was like putting paddles, the electric paddles on the chest of the stock market. Revived it. So where do central bank digital currencies make their entrance? Um boy, that's uh that's a tricky one. So the system now um, of, of ever-increasing debt is is at, a, is at a critical phase in the U.S., okay? You know, I think you probably know, just at a, at a gut level, that if you're borrowing more and more money, you, you can, just as a, at a personal level, if you're borrowing more and more money, you can get away with that for a while, Okay. But when you're borrowing, when you start borrowing money to pay interest, to make the interest payment, it's you're not long for this world. Okay, the the baseball bat's coming mm -hmm. for your kneecaps in short order. You can't. So if you're borrowing interest, you're in big trouble. And the U.S. is really at that point where it's not it's not bar, we're not borrowing money to pay interest, but if you add up the interest payment on the debt plus the non-negotiable obligations, meaning plus Social Security, plus Medicare, plus the payments politically that you have to make, okay? You add those, let's call it pay-as-you-go or um, your non-negotiable obligations. When you, when you add up the non-negotiable obligations plus the interest, it is now, for the first time in the U.S., bigger than tax receipts. And so we're sort of like the guys borrowing to make interest payments. So you, the the, peop, the people running the system, the debt-based monetary system, it's spinning out of control. And the only way to control it is to really have a closed system where central bank digital currencies fill that billet because then, then with central bank digital currencies, you can just shut the money off, okay? You can't do that now. The money, the money does what the money does, right? But the central bankers have been quite upfront about the fact that CBDC is different. It's it's not like real money, okay? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never had, 
you know, $100 bill or a 100 quid note in my hand just spontaneously combust. That doesn't happen. Okay. You, you can, you can spend it on whatever you want and you can spend your bank money on whatever you want. It doesn't go away. CBDC though is different. And you've had the head of the Bank for International Settlements, a guy named Augustin Karstens. The BIS is in Basel, Switzerland. It is the central bank of central banks. So all the central banks get together and they meet in Basel at the bank for central, at the bank for international settlements. And so the BIS at the top is sort of like the, the tip of the pyramid of central banks. The head of the BIS in October of 2020 said in a conference about central bank digital currency, he says, you know what? The problem, you know, he says, you know what the problem with $100 bills is or a thousand peso notes? He says, we don't know. We don't know what's going on. With them. We don't know who has the things. We don't know what they're spending at the cash on. He says, but whoa, with central bank digital currencies, oh, we can make up our own rules and we can decide what, what payments go through and what payments don't go through. Oh, isn't it great? And we have the technology to enforce that. And he's, he, he sounds like a deranged lunatic. And Jerome Powell, who's the conservative U.S. head of the central bank here, the head of the Fed, Jay Powell, he gets a, a load of this guy. He's like, he says, well, you know, he's in a very restrained way, says, yeah, there's a lot of good things about, about central bank digital currencies. But, uh, you know, we, we need to look at some legalities here about what's going on. We need to consider privacy issues and all the rest. But the fact is the cat was out of the bag. Mm. August and Carson's let it out that they can turn your money off. And if they can turn your money off, they got their debt problem solved. It sounds, John, like it's a lot more than just money, though. That sounds like control. Totally, that's completely what it is. It's a, it's not even money to my way. I don't. It doesn't meet the legal definition of money. It's it's credit at the it's discretionary credit at the company store, where, you know, that hundred pound, you know, account you have. If you can't buy what you want, it's not really money. They say, well, you could buy a. You could buy a kale uh, salad. That's okay, but you can't you can't buy a pizza. And for sure, you're not going to buy a blunt with it. No way, mm-hmm. or, or a snake bite. You're not going to buy that stuff. Uh, uh-uh. uh you can only buy what we think is is worthy. Uh, just to clarify, this is not the same as say cryptocurrency. No, no, it's not the same because the question with money, it's always. Who's issuing the money? Okay, who's who's the issuer with central bank digital currency, and with with banknotes, with physical banknotes that you keep in your pocket? Those are issued by the central bank. With bank money, those are issued by commercial banks. With crypto, crypto is an asset. It doesn't it doesn't meet the definition of money, the legal definition of money. It is created by whoever is the custo- whoever manages the crypto. So it's it, it's a different thing. Now, that said, the, the central banks, make no mistake about it, are eyeing that blockchain technology and are figuring out how do we how do we use blockchain to our advantage? But the crypto itself isn't um, it isn't it isn't really money, although. But I, I mean, will say this. Th- yeah, I mean, they, I can send you I can send you Bitcoin right now and we could trade. Yes. Yes. But that's but that's we could we could barter with anything too, okay. Right, we we could barter with monopoly money, with horses, you know. With but I will say this, um, back to the issue of settlement. Just like banks need to settle, okay, 
you've got bank money at bank A and you got bank money at bank B and they have to settle in a different currency. They settle in reserves, not bank, even though it's denominated in the same currency, it's a different polarity. It's a different issuer. Ultimately, CBDCs, if you think about it, if CBDCs is money from a, from a central bank, it's a liability to a central bank, somewhere along the line, you're going to need a, 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 a higher level asset. Just like commercial banks need the higher level reserves to settle between themselves, central banks are going to need a higher level settlement means, and it could be another reserve currency, or it could be it could be a crypto. I will. It, it might. In fact, there's one crypto in particular. I can't remember which one it is. XRP or some such thing. Um, that that looks to me like that thing smells like a that smells like a settlement currency. It's got that aroma about it, and I would I would keep your eye on that. One. I can't remember the name of it, but there's a guy named Darren Moore Jr. who's given some presentations on YouTube that speak to that. Very interesting question. If what you're saying is true, though, should your alarm bells be ringing? Yeah, um, as soon as Carson says, yeah, we can control all the transactions. We have the technology to control every penny in the whole planet. Yeah, the alarm bells went off, you know, over a year ago. <laughs> yeah, and it is coming though. This isn't. This isn't just. Yes. This isn't just talk. No, it's coming. It's coming. I, I suspect that whenever you hear a central banker talk about unicorns and rainbows, you know they're lying. Okay. Whenever, whenever you hear a central banker talking about how they want to, you know, improve the neighborhood or. They want to help. The, they want to help. They want to be a Mister Helper. You're getting a load of garbage. It's just they're lying to you, okay? And so the the two areas where central bankers are like, yeah, we should do this and we should do that to keep your eye on are climate change. They're all worried about the environment as they fly their jet, you know, across the world. It's burning, you know, gobs and gobs of gasoline. The other area is they talk about they talk about financial inclusion and what they mean by that. The cover story on that is. These poor people who live under bridges, they can't they can't participate in our wonderful electronic economy. Mm. We need to get them. We need to get them part of the economy. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if the homeless guy could buy his Boone's Farm wine with electronic money? It's like, are you are you kidding me? And so that that universal basic income is a way in for that central bank digital currency, and so is climate change. Yeah, I mean it's all linked. Oh, yeah. And adding to that link, is this uh, virus real or not part of this shift that's occurring? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it, it's a transition. The, the, the pandemic, the, the monetary significance of the pandemic, for leave aside viruses and colds and sniffles and all that stuff, the monetary significance of the pandemic is that the world's leading central bank just took control of a major portion of the retail money supply. It had never done that. And you're going to see it do that more and more because, as I say, the U.S. at least has passed the point of no return where the and the, US, and the Federal Reserve chairman himself, Powell, admits this in April. He says, yeah, the U.S. debt path is unsustainable. The debt is growing at a rate that is materially faster than the economy. 
and that's things are changing quickly due to that fact the pandemic is the first step of many so the next thing is there'll be more control of the retail money supply and eventually there will be total control of retail money meaning money that you and i and mom and pop businesses spend oh you're not just being paranoid i mean isn't this just a case of history repeating itself no it's um the it's not history repeating itself because history repeating itself um would be you have a depression and debts get wiped out and um we kind of start over I mean that's not happening this time they didn't allow they didn't allow the depression during the global financial crisis mm. they didn't let banks fail they propped up the zombies they kept the system going the debts kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger they're not letting those debts die they're not mm. letting the steam out and that's the difference that's what's different about this they're not letting go they're not there's no debt jubilee there's just more and more debt and the schemes get crazier and crazier and crazier to retain control of a system that is out of control and the end game of this is simply total control of people okay as assets right right now when the, when any country wants money it has to borrow the money from the central bank okay the way it works is the us needs a billion dollars it writes an iou to the fed for a billion dollars it writes a bond or an iou to whoever it writes a bond okay the the bond is the asset it's backed by what's called the full faith and credit of the united states right so remember in a debt based monetary system all the money which is a liability to the issuer is backed by an asset okay at a, at a, at a country level the backing asset is a bond it's a national bond the question nobody's asking about central bank digital currency is okay since it's money it's a liability of the central bank and everybody admits that what's the corresponding asset is it a bond like the old days or is it the individual person is what it, is, is it? it therefore i don't know the answer nobody nobody talks about it what do you think i think it's going to be individual people i think i think you're going to have basically people running around as 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 assets on the balance sheet that's what i think and you're going to see a complete system of like credit default swaps riding around with people you're going to see people in a digital way bundled together Jeez. and you're going to see insurance policies taken out on bundles of people it's going to be it's it's not going to be good i mean imagine all the worst excesses of the global financial crisis atomized on an individual level torrifying but i think that's what's coming i don't see a way out of this i mean maybe maybe i'm wrong mm. and if i'm wrong then the corresponding asset would be a bond at the national level but that doesn't make sense given the excitement i hear in voices like august and carson saying we can control every transaction why does he mm. care about that so do you think that all of the stuff that's been happening in the last 18 months is connected to this uh, there's no doubt in my mind that they're connected yes they're part and parcel and the driver my thing is follow the money you follow the money you find out what's going on i mean remember the blackrock paper was in august of 2019 Okay, the pandemic wasn't until labor. The tail is not wagging the dog here. The pandemic is not wagging the central banks. The central banks are wagging the pandemic. How powerful, up. 
John, how powerful are central banks? They're totally powerful. I mean, they have the complete issuing power. For a long time, you know, commercial banks had the power. But central banks since 1971, as I said, they can issue as much money as they want with total impunity. Commercial banks can't do that. And once you have the issuing power of money in a system, you've pretty much got complete control. The way this whole thing got onto my radar, by the way, was in 2013, there was a special on public broadcasting system in the U.S., PBS. It's called, the, the, the show is called Frontline. The episode was called The Untouchables. It was produced by a guy named Martin Smith. It aired on about January 22nd, 2013. And he showed in that episode the banks are above the law. They will not be prosecuted for crimes, even crimes where there's no dispute that there was a crime. They admitted they committed crimes. Nobody's going to jail. And at that point, I'm like, banks are above the law and if they're above the law that makes the banks the sovereign power not the government i mean if you can commit any crime you want you are the sovereign sure right because you can issue money you can raise mm -hmm. standing armies you can have weapons you can you can do whatever you want because you can just commit the crime and then later plead immunity right you've got you can replicate every sovereign power that exists on paper yourself and that's what happened in the U.S. And I was like, wait a minute, the, who's the real sovereign power in the U.S. then? Sounds like it's the banks, but it's not the banks because the central banks are more powerful than the commercial banks. For the reason that I said, the commercial banks can be bankrupted. Central banks can't. They're the ultimate issuer of money. I just want to make sure that I'm following. So what what is going to be happening here is that the central banks are going to bypass the retail banks and go straight yes. to and go straight to people like you and me. Yep. They're going to go through an intermediary though. They go through an intermediary now, but it's a little it's complicated. The intermediaries there they will the only reason they won't go direct like you said, to issue money direct to you and me is the bandwidth, the organizational capacity needed to pull that off is just you know, mm. how many people are in the UK? There's 330 million people. In the U.S., can you imagine the Federal Reserve trying to imagine to trying to manage 330 million accounts? It's too it's organizationally too much. So what they're going to do, and they've already started doing it. You saw this with BlackRock, is they're going to use those intermediaries like BlackRock, like Google, like Amazon, like fintech. There, there will be a mix of intermediaries that they use to control the whole system. But make no mistake about it, you're right. The top dog in our system is the central banks. Period, full stop. Obviously, I need to then ask you, what can we do as individuals? Um, I tell you this, what I think. I mean, to be honest, I tell people this, they don't want to hear it. You're not voting your way out of this. Okay? I've known that since 2013. The criminals have taken over. They're running the system. They're not gonna, you're not going to vote them out of control. They're going to laugh at you. They're more than happy to prop up the illusion of control that you might have, but you're not going to vote your way out. I think the only way out now is the same way the U.S. got out 1775. They fought their way out. They revolted. Wow. I mean, that's I, I don't see any other logical answer. Are you saying civil war? No, I'm saying revolution. Yeah, you got you you have an, you have a criminal power. If you read the U.S. Declaration of Independence. I mean, it was King George III was a criminal. 
I mean, he was doing all these things that was totally illegal. That's what the declaration is. It's a recitation of all the atrocities this bastard was perpetrating. And so they said, you know, we can't have this. Mm. We can't have, you know, you're, you have a duty when this is going on and crimes are being perpetrated. It's not your right. It's your duty to throw this power off. That's my answer. I mean, that's so a all big this stuff about getting together. And, you know, you should organize and protest and all that stuff. But, you know, be be advised about what you're in for. If this is going to work, you got to throw these guys off. It's a it's a major task. And and is there a way to buffer along the way? For example, I don't know, gold, silver, platinum, um, cash Fridays, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, in, in the Great Depression in the U.S., people used local currencies. They used scrip, right? And they transacted business. That's the first step is you transact business outside the system. You mm -hmm. do it on personal. That's one of the reasons I think the power that be want the social distancing, don't want the congregation. They don't want people getting together. They don't want people organizing. You got to you got to fight back. That's the first that's the first battle line is to get back together and start doing business outside of the system. Is bartering part of that system? Damn right it is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just don't, just don't, you know, keep extensive records of it, or don't keep records of it that can be monitored by, say, Amazon or some other helpful company, <laughs> what, like Google or Microsoft. Jesus. What about what about Bitcoin or crypto? That I mean, that's outside the system, isn't it? Mm, you tell me who, you know, what's the guy, Satoshi Nakamoto, whatever. So who is that person? I don't know. Here's the thing, crypto. Well, I don't. I know. I don't know that much, but I'm. I'm. I don't think Bitcoin is is as opaque as people would like to think. I think there are cryptos out there that do offer real privacy, mm. but I don't. I don't think Bitcoin is that one. I'm skeptical. Um, I'm. I, I'm not. I'm not in the camp that, that is completely dismissive of crypto because there's a lot of technologies I see. You know, contracts could be done with blockchain. There's a lot of useful applications of crypto. Um, but I, I think of Bitcoin kind of as that, that would not be if I were a betting man. Still, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on Bitcoin as, as being your savior. Mm -hmm. I think don't put all your eggs in that basket would be my I don't know. But I don't know. I could be persuaded otherwise. John, in front of you, this crystal ball. What do you see? I see more crises that come out of nowhere that further consolidate power and money in the hands of fewer and fewer people. You got to remember that the powers that be really aren't interested in money. That's not their goal. Because they have the printing press. They can print as much money as they want. They're interested in you not having money because that gives them more control. So in the future, I see more and more power being hoovered up into the system into fewer and fewer hands. And we got a big dose of that with the pandemic. I just think you're going to see, you know, it was the virus, the virus, the virus in, in chapter one. I think you're going to see more and more horror shows. You're going to see, you know, the cyber, the cyber villain is going to be, you know, there's going to be more and more panics and more and more Restrictions cyber, on cyber polygon and and more climate emergencies. Yeah, the climate Armageddon. And there's going to be all these more. I, I you get ready for more chicken little stories.
That's what I see. More Chicken Little. <laughs> Garcon, more Chicken Little. John, where can people find you? Uh, on YouTube. My YouTube channel is called Best Evidence. It's a great channel. Um, thank you. I don't have that many videos. I'm working. It takes me a long time to really figure out, to write a video, to figure out what's going on. But once I do, I'm good. And I've just I've just got two coming. They're going to be good. But that's where I am. I'm only on YouTube. I don't do Twitter. I don't do Facebook, Instagram. I, I you know, I just do YouTube. So I like making videos. I do. I make videos for therapy for me so that I don't go insane. It probably hasn't worked, but it's better than the alternative. On the Whitney Webb's podcast, you called yourself a, a what? A YouTube hobo. YouTube hobo. Yeah, I stole that from another YouTuber. <laughs> guy, named, you know, guy named guy named Casey does a YouTube channel called Camera Conspiracies, which looks at different cameras and gear. And he called himself a YouTube hobo. I thought that's perfect. <laughs> he has like over a hundred thousand followers. I've got like thirty thousand. So I tr I truly am. A YouTube hobo. Uh, that's, that's all I do. I don't even monetize my channel. So there's no ad. Let me know if there's an ad because there shouldn't be on my channel. I, I like doing the videos. And it's just a way for me to let steam off. Well, I think it's a great channel. I've watched uh, your videos. And um, as I said to you earlier, you've got a great style. Thank you. I, I, I sweat it out. I, I cut my teeth at a law for a little tiny law firm where writing was the main thing and we would mm. take on big law firms and high ticket, big ticket patent litigation. And we did really well because we focused so much on writing and storytelling. Mm. It's so important, you know, actually that's, that's, it's funny. You should say that uh, you said storytelling. I think that's yeah. pretty much the thing that drives people. So storytelling. Yeah. Absolutely. Drives juries. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You have to, you know, it's an ancient thing. The Greeks invented it. You know, set up conflict resolution. It was, it's a recipe, a formula that will never be improved upon. Mm. But it's not understood that well. But that's how we learn. It's like, well, what problem are you trying? What What's the issue? What problem are you trying to solve? And did it work? How did you solve it? That's every story. And so that's what I try to do on my channel. It's like, well, like reserves. Like, why do we even have reserves? What problem did reserves solve? And yeah. so I have a video called Wherefore Art Thou Reserves. Yeah, I watched that. scrubbed to about the 20-minute mark. I walk through. I have a camera overhead. Like I say, you come to my bank and here are the options. And I walk through it, but it's storytelling. Very important. And people seem to respond to it. You know, like, oh, now I get it. Mm. Yeah, because I told a story. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not up there at a chalkboard with some dry theory. You know, I'm, I'm trying to put it in real terms. And real terms to me means what's the story? John Titus, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thank you for having me. It's been. Is that been snake a, bite you were drinking? It was uh, Jack Daniels. Okay. <laughs> uh, those days are behind me now. It's not time yet. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare. Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.